We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Arteta shows his commitment to the club by making it less palatable for KSE to stick around. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. A cunning twist. Did Daniel Ek have a whisper in Arteta's ear? Did he realize that crashing out of Europe and not being in it for the first time in 25 years would be a way to potentially push the Cronkies out? All part of his cunning plan or... Just total incompetence as a manager. You decide. We'll discuss. Here to discuss it with me is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hold pause. Woo-hoo. And Tim. You can find him on Twitter. Stubborn. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Clive has today off because he is celebrating the 18th birthday of his uh, twin girls. And so we wish them uh, a happy birthday and him a good day. If you want to hear Clive's thoughts on this, he was quite somber and direct on the instant reaction for patrons. But unfortunately, we will not have him along with us today. Uh, We had a very, very fun live stream, as we always do before these occasions, that turned into a very, very angry instant reaction. It's amazing what the football can do to your mood, isn't it? And the the mixture of feelings today for me is anger, but also sadness. Sadness at realizing that European competition is gone for the first time in 20 years. That next season we will have at least probably 12 fewer times to watch Arsenal. As miserable as Arsenal can make us, I'd still rather watch them than not. And it, it really changes the trajectory of the project, TM. Uh, and what we are doing as a club, the, the value and prestige of the club, but it also gives us an opportunity maybe to focus on the league. Those will be conversations that evolve over the summer. Today, what we're going to do is very simple. We're going to discuss why we didn't win the game because this is a post-match podcast and then analyze the manager because I just don't think at this point it can be put off. I know we've had some strong feelings about every result 
leading to a discussion about the manager. But in this case, I, f- I feel it's probably unavoidable. So those are the things we have coming. I do want to just say that um, after the previous pod where I asked if you could write reviews, a lot of people did. And I, I can't thank you enough. It's my failure as a host. Well, a lot of things are my failures as a host. The podcast in general is my failures as a host. But to to say, hey, we could use a review with the new algorithm thing that, that Apple is doing, it helps so much. And every few weeks, I'll pick out a review at random uh, or maybe a couple, one one you know, one side of the Atlantic, one somewhere else, and uh, and send some people a shirt. So if you want to write a review, we'd really appreciate that. But if not, let's start the podcast because I've been talking now for two minutes. That's two minutes too long. So uh, Paul, I'll start with you just really quickly. I, I think to me, you know, all right, the Shaka injury is bad, but Tierney comes in and he's a half fit Tierney. It's still Kieran Tierney. It's still fine. Like I don't, I don't want to get too far down the road of what the Shaka injury meant, but I think in a game where you have to go score at least a goal. When you have Aubameyang, Pepe, Saka, Smithrow, Odegaard, Tierney, Party all on the pitch, you have to say there's probably nothing wrong with that selection. And so for the first 45 minutes to be so complacent and so lacking in urgency is really confusing. This was <clears throat> really a criticism we've had, I think, throughout the season, but in particular in the Europa League, which is that whole legs of of ties and whole halves of games just sort of pass us by. It was incumbent upon us to make them nervous from the start. They were without Kapu. They were without Foyth, two of their stars from the first leg. They lose Chiquese in the 30th minute. But I never felt that there was an urgency to really take that territorial advantage and create uncertainty for them. So do you have any thoughts beyond just attitude and passion and urgency to explain why we struggled so much in the first half to to create any kind of sustained pressure. Uh, yeah. So I think the problem in some part is our adjectives and our descriptions. Cause I agree with you. It lacked urgency, but we all know that they didn't come out here, not wanting to be urgent, not Agreed. wanting yeah, to press. So why so, did it look that way though? How did it trans, how yeah. did it transmit to that? You know, I think a significant <clears throat> part of it was right from the get go. We went to that thing we haven't done for quite some time of leaning heavily into aggressive playing out from the keeper. Uh, I know that's the wrong end of the pitch to be aggressive, but we really leaned into it for the first 10 minutes or so. So in a sense, we were saying, all right, we're going to be aggressive, but starting from the six-yard box, and unfortunately, we weren't very good. It's It was kind of another twist on the toothpaste problem in that – we took all our risks starting from our six-yard box. So by the time we had worked it up the pitch, A, we hadn't done it. We didn't move it quickly enough that we actually, like there were a few times it kind of worked and we broke through their line. And then we didn't uh, kind of put the pedal to the metal and they ended up getting back into position. And it's like, all right, so you've taken all that risk. You've... You've beaten their press, and then for whatever for different reasons each time we pass it back, we pause the guy on the ball. Be it I'm not going to pick. I'm just going to pick a name so you know kind of the position of the pitch I'm talking about, not really the person. But Pepe is on the ball, and instead of going one v one versus his man, he pauses. He kind of takes a moment, and again, it's not about Pepe. It's about players. Once we did beat a press not going for it. Um, And so 
we did the fault i think there is going back to something we haven't done for a long time we have not aggressively said come get us we're in our six yard box we weren't very good at it we looked like a team who'd just taken this up and it was a big risk to take in this game and then you think about well who are the players we would have loved to have had david luis but i'm sure we knew we weren't going to have him for this game so we went with marie and holding not necessarily ideal we went with uh bellerin who you know he's played that system often enough but we didn't have chaka uh, we had Tierney, which should have been good enough. But, I mean, to me, he looked pretty sheepish in this game all the way through. Um, a half-fit Tierney, we say, you know, we, we kind of say as that as if it's almost good enough. But he really was less than himself, and, and maybe that projected on the rest of the team. You need confidence when you play out from the six-yard box. I think much of our problems, that was one area, and the other area where I thought we had trouble was we threw a lot of good players on the pitch up front, but they didn't seem to know how to connect to each other in this new, different setup. I think it was too much change, too risky, too hard to work it up from the back that by the time we got up front, we weren't in any kind of structure. Uh, We took too long to get there and we lost the advantage we gained, basically. And we didn't do very much for the first half. It wasn't until the urgency came in the second half and we stopped fucking around and we went for it that uh, our front players put themselves in the slots and positions and started combining. They didn't have the chance to practice combining in this game because we spent so much time trying to play out from the back. Yeah, I I can't believe I'm going to say this, Paul, but I thought we had a toothpaste problem in this game. I I mean, I I hate to invoke your your, uh, trademark analogy, but I felt that there was a lot of effing around with the ball at the back and then hitting it long into the channels and trying to play hero ball for Saka or, or Pepe and that there wasn't a lot of c- connected play. There, wa- there wasn't a lot of um, combination play. So, Tim, I mean, the one area where I'll, I'll give Arteta credit is in diagnosing what went wrong on the night because I think he's right, and I think Paul is right as well, that the problems in our first half started in the defensive third as opposed to the attacking third. We had four shots and .17 expected goals in the first half. You couldn't script a half to make Villarreal feel more comfortable to see this out, to feel like they could keep us at arm's length, and they really did. But I think that Marie and Holding were the the initial instigators of the problems. They were very reluctant to make the interior pass out from pressure to give it to Party or to give it to Smithrow or, or or Odegaard dropping back. They very, very often gave it to Tierney and in a lot of cases to Bellerin. And while I thought Bellerin was terrible, I mean, to the point where I feel sad about how he's playing, pressed up against the touchline, two men, nothing to do but fade it up the line to Pepe or nothing to, but to fade it up the line to Saka. Um, and I think... You know, that, that Marie and Holding really hurt us in that respect. That if you're going to play out, you you can't play into the pressure on the wings every time. You've got to make some of those a little bit more aggressive and um, and dangerous interior passes, and we never did that. So for you is the... And again, we'll get to some individual performances and some of them up the pitch, because mm. I realize it's boring starting this whole... Um, post-mortem with the defenders, but do you think that a lot of what went wrong, at least in the first half, started at the back? Yeah, I think so. And and I think I'd look at that through the prism of the players who were missing. Um, so 
Jacker, Louise, even Ceballos can do that. Uh, he can pick the ball up off the centre halves and and kind of really play those passes. I mean, Party can do that as well. Uh, he can probably do it better than all of them actually. I, what what was kind of disappointing to me was there was a brief period in the first half where we we swapped the wingers and we put Pepe on the right. And Mari found him a couple of times with the quick switch. And, and Mari can do that, by the way. He did mm-hmm. that a lot at Flamengo, that, that cross-field pass with his left foot. And we, we haven't seen that much of it at Arsenal because he tends to pass more to the left, to Tierney. But he really has got that switch on him. And we found Pepe a couple of times. And I, and I was thinking, ah, great okay this might be an avenue like it's don't get me wrong it's not it's not exactly we're not exactly finding Pepe in the six yard box or anything but it's something and this goalkeeper is bloody awful so at that point I was thinking I don't mind if we just pretend that Pepe is Iron Robin and give him the ball 20 times <laughs> and let him cut in and shoot until he gets one on target. Because let's face it, with that goalkeeper, it doesn't have to go in off the underside of the bar to go in. Get it, it drives on me nuts that we tested him so little. I mean, my yeah. God, he looked awful. Like he was ready to shit himself if we just give him the, the prune juice to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so we we found that a couple of times, but then we swapped Pepe and Saka back, and I don't really understand why. And um and just as an aside, that this might have been one of the games where I and I was thinking this during the game where I might have even welcomed just a brief return of our our November December tactic of just spanking the ball into the box yeah. because the goalkeeper was so awful. I thought mm, even though we haven't got Giroud in there, you know he'll probably drop one. Um, but so I, I do think we had problems in build up for, for the exact reasons you say. And, and that's probably why our fullbacks kind of struggled as well. Um, and, and I look at Bellerin's performance and I gave him like the stock down on, on the instant reaction pod, which I still think he deserved. But when I look back at the highlights, you know, he creates that chance for Aubameyang yeah. with the cross. He nearly he nearly scores as well. But Coquelin yeah. um, gets a great block. So he, he actually nearly had two really, really decisive moments in the game still. But what what was yeah. weird Remember about in the instant reaction discussion, I was saying um, I, I actually thought it w- taking Bellerin off at that point in the game was maybe a mistake. I know we put on another attacker, but at that point, between crosses he was putting in and shots he was getting, he just felt like one of the most likely to stick the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and what was really weird about the pattern of this game is that Villarreal know that Arsenal like to go wide. And they really clogged up the wide positions. Like Coquelin was basically on top of his fullback. So was um, the other central midfielder whose name I forget. Like they knew that we were going to empty the midfield. So they emptied their own midfield. And what was so weird about that was there was all the space was actually in the middle. And it's kind of counterintuitive because you'd think a team would prefer to go through the middle. But teams only don't do it because that's usually the congested area. So they go wide. But in this in this match all of the congestion was out wide and we never adapted and thought, okay, they're giving us a bit of a runway here. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, once we get to the edge of the box, there's a load of them in the area. So I'm not saying we just get like a clear run at goal, but we get a clear run at their box if we go through the centre. And I, I really I really expected to see El Nenny 
come on actually just to provide a little bit more of that just someone who could pick up the ball off Murray and holding and and drive us forward a little bit well, I know drive us forward and Elneny is a weird combination but uh, indulge me a bit but you know just someone to give us a bit more centrality mm. they did compress the middle a little bit not so much with numbers but by keeping the line high defensively mm. so that they kind of yeah what I- they did have in the middle Still kept it reasonably tight, but we did yeah. have some joy through the middle. I think the other interesting thing you hit on was the switching because a party as well would drift left and then spank it to the right. Sack out a couple of really good takedowns with the ball. Um, I, I, I saw the thing you said with Pepe too, and I thought, oh, this is going to be a feature of our play, but not enough to compensate for how slowly we were generally building up from the back. I think with the yeah, loss and- of... Sh- yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Tim. I was, I was just going to say with that high line, again, we really could have done with David Luiz just to drop the ball over the top of that high line. Yeah. Like Murray and Holding can't well, do that. Let me ask you then, does Arteta have to, I mean, even if he only would have lasted 30 in this game, it might've been enough. Does Arteta have to take some criticism for putting anybody of value out there against Newcastle? And, and before I let you answer, can this now finally be the death of this idea that momentum is a thing that, that, oh, we got to go out and beat Newcastle because it gives us momentum and a lift going into the second leg. Like, we comfortably swatted them aside, wound up losing David Luiz in the process, and scored no goals and, and had next to nothing creatively against Villarreal. So, like, I just, you're sure, does momentum maybe exist at the margins? Maybe, but, like, prioritize the big game. So, to you, Tim, I mean, I, I understand, wow, we need to get David Luiz in there to get him a little bit of fitness before this game, but... I mean, that didn't work out. And I just, in general, I'm skeptical of that attitude. So do, do you have the similar skepticism? Uh, uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. I, th- I think the other thing is in Europe, you get five substitutions. So it, it probably would have happened to Louise in this game. It's probably just as likely, to be fair. But if you lose Louise 35 minutes into this game, you've got five subs. So it kind of matters. Yeah, a little bit less. It's 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 a bit hindsighty, um, but yeah. In in retrospect, I'm sure Arteta would probably do that differently. The way Odegaard was playing in this game, and given that Shaka wasn't there to sort of step up next to Party, I really felt we needed the four two three one on this night because it Party was not able to marshal the center of the midfield all by himself. And and you know, Paul, I thought it was a really off night for Party. Mm. And I think the the irony is me as a guy who had some skepticism about whether he was the right transfer. I've come around to thinking he is an exceptionally talented guy who, if he can start to find a little bit more like consistency, is going to be a big player for us. Now, whether or not I, I think he was the right buy at, at this age, at this time in our project, I mean, given that we're going to have no Europe next season, but like setting that aside, I actually have been more impressed with his talent. I actually see some opinion on him on social media and stuff, I think going too far the other direction now. But mm. I think this role, he, he is a player who I think you want to be a leader in your midfield, but this role of, of being the lone midfielder, it ha- hasn't been a smooth transition for him. There have been times when he's looked really good at it and moments that have been weird. He had a weird game. There was one like, yeah. what was it? It was like a big switch where he just kicked it like way the heck out of the stadium, basically. Um, yeah. Pepe gave him like a two-yard pass back to him under a little bit of pressure, which is sort of his specialty, right? Like wriggle out of pressure and he just yeah. like clanked it off both of his feet and, and gave it away. He still did some of the things we love where he charges through and plays those progressive line line breaking passes. But in general, I thought central midfield was a problem. So how much of that do you think is party having an off night and how much is we could have helped him with a system that gave him a partner 
because um, it, it wasn't working with with o- Odegaard and Smith Rowe in front of him. Um, so let me see if I can phrase this without it sounding like a contradiction. He allows us to play in a way that no other player in our in our team allows us to play. And we did not have a good night yesterday. But he did allow us, he did allow Arteta the freedom to get an extra player upfield, if you want to look at it that way. One more midfielder freed up to go and do Danny Ceballos type stuff that we've seen over the last few games. Smith Which Rowe, works if, if Party turns into Hercules, though, and patrols that whole area effectively you know, and can, and can do two jobs, which wasn't happening last night. Well, he had an off night, but I'd put it to you this way. It didn't really matter mm. in that the things that did, he he dropped a bunch of clangers and they could have scored on the counter twice, but didn't. Um, so my point is he still allowed us to play in that way and we didn't get punished for it. He definitely like it was possibly his most off performance for us, like. It was kind of like tone deaf, whatever the equivalent of that in footballing terms is. He just kept flubbing. But we still, we didn't change our system. So in a sense, he still allowed us to play that way because we did play that way. Um, and, you know, the disproving the negative, there were things he did, uh, ground he covered. Um, maybe to Tim's point, they didn't flood the midfield anyway. So in one sense, it worked in only in the sense that it allowed us to play a different way and we weren't punished for it. He definitely had an off night. You know, maybe we missed out on a couple of killer passes that we've seen in other games that might have opened this thing up. Um, What's my point? My point is, I think he's a tremendous asset that allows us to play one guy at the base of the midfield. Even if he had an off night, we still did it and weren't punished for his his off night. So it's almost like it didn't matter because they didn't hurt us. Yeah. And I mean, we will start to wind this around to Arteta and what it means and, and maybe get some of the catharsis going in terms of just kind of shouting into the void, screaming into the void. But I, I do like breaking down the game a little bit because I think it's being lost a bit. Just how how bad this performance was in so many ways. I mean, how lifeless it was. And I think, Tim, part of this is a ball progression issue. And then part of it is players that we need big performances from not producing them. And this is where the coach versus player debate is always going to, I think, challenge people. But if we want to stick on the player side of it for a minute, I thought it was an off night from Saka, who, you know, let's face it, he's carried us for large chunks of this season. Now, carried us where you could ask, he but, was, you know, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he was crowded out, yeah. yeah. But, but how, I, how off do we think he was, uh, like, uh, this is a genuine question, not a trick one. Like, some of his touches were excellent, um, and, and to Tim's point, he was, he was a marked man, he was crowded out. I mean, do we, I know we were disappointed because he didn't have a good night. Did he have an off night, or... Well, Just, I think he had a night where he didn't influence the game at the level that we'd like him to, yeah. for better or worse. A person who I do think had an off game, though, and Tim, I'll, I'll let you pick up on this, is is Odegaard. I mm. think it's a subtle yeah. difference, that 10 roll in the four two three one versus that right-sided 8 roll in the four three three. We throw these numbers out, and they probably mean, you know, four three three, three three four, four two three one. They probably mean less than we think because it's really still just positional football. But for one reason or another, he hasn't looked great in this position the last few chances he's had. And and I thought the Martinelli for 
Odegaard swap on 66 minutes was the right one. Too too slow, yep. arguably, but the right one. Um, I, I'll let you talk about this in, in two ways, if you want. <clears throat> one is what you think <clears throat> prevented Odegaard from really standing out, and also have some of the recent Odegaard performances cast any doubt for you on whether this is the player we should be pushing the boat out for. Yeah, so what one thing I, I think we should acknowledge, even if we only pay lip service to it, some of the ways in which... Um, Arteta slash Arsenal were maybe a bit unlucky. Now, don't interpret this as a bleeding heart violins um, kind of moment because I still think both parties deserve plenty of criticism. But, um, you know, losing Jacker before kickoff um, and having to play, I, I know you're actually dropping in your first choice left back, which shouldn't be a problem, but they are very different and he wouldn't have planned for that. And we can see that Tierney was nowhere near fit enough to play 90 minutes. And yeah, But the other thing that kind of sucks for Arteta is coming into this key point of the season with Aubameyang getting malaria and Erdegaard picking up an ankle injury on international duty just at the time that he was really putting together some performances. And, mm. you know, he came back and he actually played the first couple of games, but clearly wasn't, wasn't quite there. So I had to sit out for a few games and, it's just completely destroyed his rhythm. And when you consider that before he came to us, he hadn't played a lot of football anyway. Um, I like, I think there's some mitigation for him in that respect. This has been, you know, this, this has been a, a bit of a, I, I don't, I think it's too much to say a wasted season, but close to it for him, almost like a Thomas party season in a way. And he, he just hasn't been able to build up that rhythm. And we've seen that in the last couple of games. And I was, I still wanted to start him. I still thought, well, okay, he's had the last two games that, that should give him, you know, that should give him some rhythm. But I think the mixture of that and then slightly changing his role and slightly changing the system and the setup. And I'm sure this is something we can talk about going into yet another big game with, Admittedly, not an enormous change, but doing that four-one-four-one thing that we've never done before. Like mm. this team is not at a point of its evolution yet where it can just happily flip between systems like that. I really think your first season, you put in the baseline and you just you you get you get your starting eleven right, you get your system right, and once the players are comfortable with that, then you start tinkering. And I think I think he maybe has just done it a bit too early. Maybe some of that was forced, and he's certainly suggested that in his post-match um, interviews that um, losing like key players like Tierney, Abamyang, and Erdgaard has has really hurt. So I like I do have some sympathy there. I do think that kind of sucks and that's one of those small things that can that can swing a season but then again you know Viral is Chukwesi to absolutely nothing I don't even know what injured him like no one was hamstring? near him hamstring it, look at that I just it, assume I, yeah I don't know but he went off with like his legs strapped up and all of that and there was Let's no be one honest, near non-contact injuries are usually the scariest ones <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so I mean that and and they had you know they had um suspensions as well and so, like, things weren't perfect for VRL. Could you argue either. that Capu, Foyth, and Chiquese are their three most important players, at least based on performances from the first leg? <laughs> I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you definitely could. You definitely could. So we, we didn't have the tools there. And, and so I think it's a mixture of Erdgaard perhaps just not being quite, um, still not quite being back in the rhythm, having had a really stop-start season. 
and then slightly changing the role um, a little bit. But I, I think, I mean, I think it has to cast doubts on whether Arsenal put the money down in the summer. Um, I, and I guess, really, you have to leave that decision, <laughs> whether you want to or not, <clears throat> to like Mikel Arteta, who's seen him in training. Yeah. Um, what what has he seen well, on the training ground? Because unfortunately, we just haven't seen enough in the games yet. And, you know, it's a short term loan. He's been injured. Like there are loads of mitigating circumstances. But the, the thing is still the um, the advantage with that is that is still more than you usually get before you buy a player. You usually buy a player almost totally on spec in in that regard so he's still got something to go on which is more than you usually get when you buy a player this is i mean clive wanted to make his stock falling in the instant reaction loans and you can see why i mean (laughs) at best you get mixed results where you're not sure what you think and at worst you get useless stuff like the loans we've we've seen for dennis suarez marie cedric um Paul, I'm going to ask you a question that Clive in the instant reaction pod literally called a shit. Uh, sorry, I think he called it a crap question. Don't remember if he called it a shit question, crap question, but he's not here. And so I'm going to go totally petty, passive aggressive and ask it to you. But Tim, you hit on something that drives me crazy because there's a few fucking problems with this Odegaard thing. If you have a strong director of football who's not just totally in the pocket of the manager, he can say Odegaard is our guy. We had determined that. So we are still going for him, but we don't have that. But here's the other problem. If you have a strong manager system, if the if the manager says we play 4-2-3-1 and we press aggressively or we play with a back 3 and we overload the wings or whatever the heck the system is, whether it's a Tuchel system or a Klopp system or a Pep system, whatever it is. Then you can say we've seen Odegaard thrive in the 10 and the 4-2-3-1. That is our system. That's the football Arsenal play, so he's the perfect fit. But as much as he looked like the perfect fit in the 4-2-3-1, I don't think he's looked like the perfect fit in the 4-3-3. If you don't have a clear system, how can you even identify the pieces that really fit what you need? It makes recruitment impossible. So the combination of our structural issues between Adu and Arteta and anybody above them being completely absent, he'll get to KSE another day, and the combination of not having a clear system that Arsenal play makes recruitment impossible and makes it impossible to look at Odegaard, for example, and say, yes, I have conviction this is the guy we should go for, or no, I don't. And that's on us. We blew that. So, Paul, let me ask you a question. It's an Arteta question, and then we'll, we'll get back to the game a bit, and then we'll really lean into um, letting it all out. Arteta, before he arrived, this is a quote, before he arrived, football is about habits and angles. It's much more simple for a player if you can process the image of where your teammate will be before receiving the ball. If I am in the kitchen and know the glasses are always in the cupboard, I get my glass of water more quickly. I could not agree with that more. I think he has betrayed those principles. He came in with a back three that felt a little, well, first a 4-2-3-1 with Ozil playing. Then after the pandemic layoff, he went to a back three. Then he's stuck with the back three and tweaked it a bit to start this season. Then a 4-2-3-1, then a 4-3-3, a 4-2-4, a 4-1-4-1, a strikerless formation in the first leg of a European semifinal. If his philosophy is make it so that the players can close their eyes and know where their teammates are, he has made it so when they close their eyes, they don't even know what pitch they're on. So can you defend his stated philosophy as being in any way consistent with what we've seen him do. Because to me, it feels like he's really in that washing machine that Clive talks about. He's searching and he, he's kind of all at sea right now. Yeah. So I felt that uh, when you read that out yesterday, I kind of felt that was a de- defense of huevos de, de position or whatever it is. Jugo de position. 
Huevos, no, no, huevos rancheros. Your, <laughs> yeah, keeping your eggs in position. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> um, no, no. Juegos uh, de posición. Yeah. He says offending hey, several hey, cultures. Hey, Tim, do, you, do, you have, yeah. do you have any comment on that pronunciation? <laughs> well, you I, 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 uh, no, no hablo español, so okay. no. <laughs> okay, cool. um, in other words, like the whole point of that is that people be in their slots, right? And And that seemed to be very much... The criticism that some folks had, like yourself, and and reflecting of his system, especially early on. Um, also, the whole finding a glass in a cupboard with water. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Uh, hey, I don't, you're the analogy guy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't Leave like his analogy. I could have, you know... Um, you know, uh, well, I won't. I won't do my version. It'd be rude, but Please, we'll yeah. we'll let it go. Yeah, thank um, you. I don't like the he analogy. He himself. There is a god. Yeah, yeah, he I did. Have the moment has come. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, the problem was it was going to be crude no, but no, not funny. No, yeah, that, that's a bad combination. Just keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah. You, you were on a uh, And even go. even yeah. I thought it was going to be crude and not funny, and that's a that's bad combination. That's way off. <laughs> um, so, like, I think he's just talking about having structure and. That's all great and good and all that stuff. Um, but, uh, but, I see, but, but let me just get you back on track because it sounds like I took you off your train of thought. My point is, though, you're saying it's more about Jugo de Position knowing where your players are going to be. I realize that formation doesn't necessarily mean anything in modern football in some ways, but still, like, these players are not playing in the same three or four yard spaces every game, game in, game out, to create those that yeah. connectivity. I mean, I don't think you could say the combination play is, you know, we talked about automatisms under Arsene Wenger. I think that's yeah. kind of what Arteta is getting at here. There's no way you can say he's, he's built up those automatisms. No, but I think it's reflective of say everything up to December 25th. Mm-hmm. We had, mm-hmm. we were very structured. And in fact, many people were very frustrated by it. Uh, the structure and others of us were just frustrated that it wasn't working and we weren't getting the ball up the pitch and we weren't getting into their final third. So, what he's done since December 26th is not that at all. And you could say he's had different different uh, formations and systems, but they've been variations on a theme. They've played with a 10. Like the Odegaard point, I, I have time for your view on it, but I also think, should we get Odegaard... If we're going to play, if he's okay in a four-two-three-one, but not a four-three-three, well, like any decent ten should be able to play in a four in either system, or we shouldn't be buying them. But but I mean, don't maybe you think not- if you're spending fifty million and making someone your crown jewel signing that you should know pretty clearly that they they solve the kind of ta- like because Buendia and Odegaard are different types of players in my view, right? If you yeah. said which suits this system more, I'd say Buendia. If you said which suits the four two three one more, I'd say Odegaard. That that feels like a pretty pivotal decision, you know. And we can't make it because we're not in a position to make it. I'd say it isn't, depending on what okay. you mean by four. Like Liverpool playing a four three three. Sure, those are very. That's a very defined view mm. of it. And Thiago has has kind of struggled to bring them more of a 4-2-3-1 or to play within their 4-3-3. But if you're talking about City, they'll comfortably switch between, I mean, what the fuck are they playing, right? It's 4-3-3, it's 4-2-3-1, it's... uh, And he's more in that mode. And so if Odegaard can't do that, he shouldn't buy him because he should be able to both play in a De Bruyne-type role or as 
uh, 10 in our 4-2-3. He should... Don't buy him if he can't play a variety of different attacking midfield roles. And I don't think the criticism against Arteta should be that he sometimes switches between uh, if that's what he's doing at the moment. We still debate with Ceballos if, like we've seen games where he's very clearly playing a kind of a three in a three with party forming a V in midfield. Uh, but it's not always like that, depending on opposition. There's a lot of fluidity, and I'm okay with that if it's working. It's worked against weaker teams. It hasn't worked against stronger teams lately. Um, it's still evolving. Uh, so I don't have an issue with the contradiction of knowing where you left your glass with the glass of water in it and finding it quickly. That he, He's freed up the front end of the pitch, and I like it more. It's a bit more Wenger-like in that he's letting them do their stuff and he's putting good play. You know, we, we've had some really interesting games with with this these guys more fluid up front, more attacking players leaning into it. That part of it I all liked. The main issue I have in this Villarreal guy, uh, game was we decided to play it out from our six-yard box the hard fucking way. And by the time we got up the other end of the pitch, there was no fluidity. There was no understanding. We didn't get up there often enough. And it was like a 4-1-4-1 was another switch. And we didn't have the intensity. It wasn't until the second half when we said, screw 4-1-4-1, we're just going for it, uh, that we spent enough time in their pitch for people to work out where they were and what they were doing and what the movements were. And people started making the runs. Um, so again, he changed switch, uh, changed systems and overloaded his hit the work he had to do to get us into an attacking position in this game. I don't have any issue with the uh, leaving your glass in the place versus what he's doing now. I like the fact that he's kind of leaned into freeing it up a bit and we're a little bit more fluid in the attacking half of the pitch and switching <clears throat> between systems is cool and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I, I would direct that Just question. Just not good enough. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, look, my personal opinion is when I look around at coaches that I think are really, really good, by and large, I think they come in, they implement a system, they make an impact right away. Then it allows them to see where the flaws are, where the weaknesses are, where the 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 players that are available can't deliver, and, and then it's easier to address the problems. And it is not I think fair. that's right, but we mm-hmm. did that it, it, like it, um, in, what was it, October, November, December, and it was just... Like he did do that and it was bad. Now, maybe it wasn't going to be his ultimate system. So you still have a fair criticism because if that's what we were planning to do forever, that was terrible. (laughs) Having a bad system is not not a defense, I guess. So I agree with you. He got it all wrong. But now December 26th, we hit the restart button. We play differently. It's been better. But he, he, yeah, but he didn't stick to his convictions. I feel like he, he tinkered. I don't know. I mean, look, there's a yeah, lot of speculation that starts tinkered, yeah. to come in here. I mean, Tim, you know, you've, I won't make you repeat things you've said in the past, but you know, the speculation about, is there a desire to show that you're smarter than the other guy? Is there a, an ego side to this? Is there a, you know, learning from Pep, who's so damn clever and feeling like the right way to manage is to out clever your opposition. Whereas like, actually there are other ways to manage. And one of them is just to be a, a, absolute and, dogmatic and idealist does it with the whole level of talent that we well right in yeah every position and flexibility of player you know that's, is a, he, that's a big part of it too right because even if you think for example that obama you know, like like if you yeah. think pepe is flawed and you can bring in mares great if you think pepe is flawed and you can bring in william different issue 
Um, so let's finish on the game because I got I got a lot of points here I want to get to still about Mikel and, and how this is unraveled. But I, I want to just sort of get to the last bits of the game. You have to win this game. You have to get a goal. We never really put them under anything like the right kind of pressure. I thought the Martinelli sub was right. But boy, did I think the Aubameyang sub was wrong. And I don't know that there's a lot of analysis required, Tim. But like for a manager who I was on my very, very, very last legs of patience with, and being someone who was a ranting lunatic at the best of times, I, I needed like a padded room when, when that <laughs> sub was made. And even if you want to say he's just back from malaria, what do you expect? Well, then don't play him 80 minutes against Newcastle at the weekend if yeah. that's the case. You know, give him a half to just get his legs under him. Or just say, you know what? Your next game will be May 26th if we need you. So yeah. I'll leave you out there on dead legs standing in the box because I still like that better than the alternative. So... For me, that's the sub that had me absolutely pulling my hair out. Ironically, only then to put a penalty box striker on an injury time in Enkedia who makes two terrible fouls <laughs> that kill the game. But is is that is there anything left to say about that sub? I feel like I'm leaving you nothing to talk about because it seems so evident. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's quite simple, isn't it? You you really, really need a goal and you take off um, your best goal scorer and the only player who's produced shots on target um, and indeed two off the post. And and doing it after that header as well, which, which, which was... Like honestly, like it's a really great header. Like he really, really works his ass off to get to. It's not on a plate at all. And and I mean, I guess that element of it is unfortunate because he would have planned to take a Bamiang off before that cross came in and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But and like no, I don't think anyone's saying, Oh, Bamiang was absolutely on fire and looked like sco- scoring, but he looked a hell of a lot more like scoring than anyone else. And, you know, history tells you that, that, that he will. And like, he's done it in this competition. Like he literally scored in the 88th minute against Benfica because he found a little bit of space on the back post. I th- I think it's at, like, I'd love to hear the justification for it. And no, I'm not having that. Oh, he's just had malaria. So yeah. Okay. So 81 minutes makes a hell of a lot of difference compared to 90 minutes. Like and, and you played uh, him at the weekend. Anyway. Yeah. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I understood playing him at the weekend. The whole point of giving him 70 odd minutes at the weekend was so he could play this game and like no i'm sorry i 80 like if it had taken him off after 65 minutes all right fair that's because he's not fit enough to do but uh, i don't buy that at all I, I think i think again i think he wanted to bring lacazette on but he didn't want to change the formation and he'd already bought martinelli on so he's thinking mm, i can't just put a bamiang on the left i don't really want a bamiang and martinelli on opposite flanks because that doesn't really work um so I, I think he kind of he backed himself into a corner through not really having a strategic plan with the substitutions. And that showed by bringing in Ket here on a few minutes later, who does the same things Abamyang does, but nowhere near to the same level. Um, I, I think it's an absolutely shocking decision. I really do. Um, I think the only reason people aren't more people aren't absolutely up in arms at the moment is because people have decided that Abamyang is like the, the player they don't like at the moment. I, I, I compared it to, um, I don't know if you'll, you'll be aware of or remember just before Rude Hullet was sacked as Newcastle manager, he benched Alan Shearer um, for a derby game against Sunderland and they lost. And that was it. He was sacked the next day. Mm. <laughs> and now there was a lot of politics behind that, <clears throat> excuse me, because of Alan Shearer and Newcastle. But, and so, and, you know, he started a Bamiyang. So, but it, but it, like, it just feels like the kind of decision a manager makes when he's lost it 
totally and is about to be sacked, but we just don't know if he is about to be sacked. <clears throat> no, I think it is fair to say that uh, the Cronkies will wake up to the challenges facing the club sometime two years from now, roughly. I don't know. I mean, I I guess you could argue, no, look, they're going to know because they're not going to be getting any money from European qualification next season. And maybe we can touch on, before we get out of here today, whether um, European qualification would be a good thing or a bad thing for this team. I think it is time to sort of turn to the postmortem and, and how that bears on Arteta. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll do the Arteta section that everybody came for after this. Stay with us. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide, and you can log into your account anytime to send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life. Here's what a few people who have already tried BetterHelp have had to say. Andrea is an absolutely amazing therapist, and I would recommend her to anyone. She has helped me tremendously with my mental health and has helped me stay on top of it and also understand my symptoms and triggers. My anxiety is now under control, and I have her to thank. I am so grateful. Elizabeth is great at discerning my areas that need work and wonderful about helping. She's a genuine, kind, and compassionate person. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash vision. That's betterhelp.com forward slash vision and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people are using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states in the United States. Special offer for Arsenal Vision listeners, you can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash vision. Betterhelp.com forward slash vision. Go there now and get the help you need. All right, we're back. Feels like an apt promotion, all things considered, uh, but definitely an important one as well. So, um, you know, I, I think we now have to talk about what we have in Mikel Arteta and, and start to make some real judgments. This is not early anymore. This is not trust the process anymore. I'm not having it. We have enough information now to judge him. I just want to say something for myself real quick that I was thinking about today. And then, Paul, I'll, I'll ask you a question that's an open question, not a closed question like I sometimes do trying to lead you <laughs> down the primrose path. But, you know, Thomas Tuchel came in at Chelsea. I want to be clear. Chelsea's a much better team than we are. It's not my point. He comes in, takes over a team that's floundering, and he's right in the deep end of the Champions League. And he gets some Champions League final beating some of the biggest, best clubs in world football along the way. Mikel Arteta came in, and it's his first job, so it's different, and it's not as good a team. But he came in, it looked like he made an immediate impact, and he gets into the Europa League, and he crashes out at home to Olympiacos. And don't give me the COVID stuff, he has a full stadium there. A full Emirates crowd, rooting on the team, Olympiacos knocked out. And I remember thinking, and I may have even said it on the pod, that's a black mark on his CV. We were really excited by his arrival. He was he was making some really interesting moves. We liked the football. It seemed like he was turning things around from Emory. His communication was a huge improvement. Things looked good. And I said, this is the first black mark on his CV. 
And in retrospect, like, you can say what you want about the league and it's a process and you got to give a coach time to make an impact. But I think what we see in knockout competitions in particular, and those are always tricky, but you look at like what Tuchel did at Chelsea. You can get your team to, to do well in a knockout competition where, where it really is very tactical. And, and I think that Olympiacos elimination at home, in retrospect, a bit of a worry. And now we look a year on and we had 10 games this season at home with no goals scored. First time in the history of the club. 13 losses in the league. No goals from open play in 180 minutes against Villarreal. And a Villarreal team that lost key players either in the middle of their first leg or between their first and second leg. Actually, both in the middle. Capu, Foyth, and then Chiquese in the second leg. Um, I, I think that there are a lot of red flags and that maybe there were some red flags earlier. You know, there were there were culture clashes. There were man management issues. And all along the way, we've sort of had the excuses for why they were okay or why they were right or why they needed time. And now I come to the point, and I said this on Twitter and I said it on the Instant Reaction Pod, and I know you want to answer it, Paul, so I'm going to say it so that you can answer it. We find ourselves, in my view, in the very uncomfortable position where all the things that are bad about Arteta's performance so far are concrete things, things that you can measure very clearly. A number of losses, a number of goals scored, eliminations from tournaments, our position in the table, we sit ninth, 13 losses, 10, 10 scoreless games at home. Out to Villarreal with no open play goals. We know all the numbers. Those things are concrete. Whereas all the reasons to say Arteta's really good and we should stick with him feel much more notional, feel much more hypothetical. That he learned from Pep and he's really knowledgeable and he's tactically really astute and you can see that. Like, okay, are we ready to gamble another season on the hypothetical potential of Arteta versus the very concrete results that this manager has delivered? And would any other big club, any other big club, at this point, be willing to say this rookie manager with a season and a half and a lot of authority and a lot of opportunity gets another season on the back of these results. So, Paul, I, I do want you to provide some balance here because it's not just let's kick Arteta. I don't want this to just be kick the guy. Catharsis can still be balanced if you feel balanced. Um, help me understand why there are <clears throat> reasons to stick with Arteta that are more than sort of notional or hypothetical, as opposed to the sort of, I think you'd concede, very concretely disappointing results he's produced. Yeah. Um, so, like, we all have different emotional landscapes, and it's a process. So Or manscapes, I'm, for that matter. But yeah, go ahead. Or manscapes. Mm -hmm. And I'm at a different point than you in that I always need to take a few days to just breathe, and I don't have this uh, personal... Personally, I'm not at the point where I'm like, okay, here's my position on it. I'm just, that's not where I am yet. And I'll take a few days. I'm not saying that's good, bad, or anything. That's just me. Something like this is like, I just got to breathe for a few days before I know truly where kind of where I'm at at the moment. Here's where I think I'm at with Arteta, which is you say we the, the concrete's all bad and the potential good stuff is literally that potential. But... There's concrete on both sides. We've had a terrible league and we got knocked out of the Europa League uh, in the uh, semifinals. But we've it's also concrete that we've been good since de December 26. Now, we can debate what kind of good. 
but that's as concrete as the bad before it. And you add the two together and you get the concrete position in the league. <clears throat> and your point is the concrete position in the league overall is bad, but it's made up of a bad bit and a good bit. And we can debate how bad was the bad bit <clears throat> and why and how good is the good bit and does it really mean anything? Because on the good bit, I think there is a good bit. And then the last few games, I'm like scratching my head as we kind of got wishy. Like since we lost Tierney, we're not the same team in the good bit. And Arteta's gone a bit wishy-washy on and changing the systems and tweaking it and this weird shit with Chaka that I still don't get. What is the upside of playing Chaka left back? Uh, I mean, it, it clears out the midfield, so he he has party defend uh, as the lone midfielder, and he can get more attacking. Is that the rationale for it? Uh, he solves his keeping Chaka on the field, but not in midfield. So now he gets another uh, more attacking midfielder up field with pushing Sabayas up because he can't really, you know. Chaka can't do the same in mid. Is it this kind of weird, convoluted uh, logic that says, I'll park him over there? He's not really fixing my fixed him system. I just managed to keep him on the pitch and he can do some left side distribution. And now I get an extra attacking player instead of a defender. I don't understand why we've the solution to missing Tierney was put Chaka left back. It's cost us a couple of goals in a couple of critical games. <clears throat> and I don't see the upside. Why not just leave him in midfield and play Cedric as a left back who made a mistake, but every fucker on the pitch has made a mistake who's any anywhere near our goal. Leno, defenders, uh, Chaka himself, uh, Party, Sabias, when he was, they've all dropped clangers that cost us goals, so I don't get why we've done this thing. So I think we've been a lot better since December 26th, but the last month and a bit or so, I'm like scratching my head as to how good are we without Tierney and what is this muddled systemizing that we're going through at the moment. Mm. So your point was the concrete versus, I I think I can make concrete arguments to why we're better. I just don't know how much better. Yeah. And we don't have, you know, there's 20 something games now in the league. There's 20 games. You can say, oh, it's only since December 26th. That's 20 game Premier League games. But it hasn't been consistent, right? You made the point because, you know, Paul, I was vocal on this pod saying maybe I was wrong to want Arteta out around Boxing Day. He's really turned it around. And I always finished it by saying, if he continues this trajectory of our development to the end of the season, I'll be really on board. But he he didn't really continue, did he? He he's fucked you and me by putting it in a <laughs> well, situation where it's like a uh, uh, goodish yeah. <laughs> is goodish good like you know you want the best stuff at the end you don't want the best stuff in the middle and then confusion and like I do definitely think the tyranny part of since December 26th, there's a lot of if clauses in this logic here. Since December 26th, with tyranny, we look the business. And without tyranny, so I think the summer business has to solve the tyranny problem, not necessarily by getting a second tyranny on that wing, but by getting a somebody who can really do the business on the other side, on the right side. But that's mm. that's a slight diversion. I, 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 you know, analogies sometimes are just cheap sort of... Um, intellectual yeah. shortcuts but i, yeah, I, I think them. that <laughs> but i think like the driving car analogy fits for me which is 
A really good driver looks way down the road. You can see what's coming up. You have a plan for what you're going to do. You can react with plenty of time. A bad driver looks right over the hood of the car, and everything is based on what you see at the last second. And I think Arteta has started doing that. Oh, Bellerin played well in a meaningless game against Newcastle. I'll start him in the second leg of the semifinal. Um, I'll try Shaq at left back when Tierney's out. Oh, it worked. I'll just keep doing that. And it's it's become shorter term in its thinking. Tim. Can yeah. I add one quick thing? I would love it. Like really quick, which is the other thing I think is concrete uh, on the Arteta side of things is he's a lot of really concrete, really good fucking excuses for why this is a, <laughs> a tough season. Yeah. Like concrete as you as you get in terms of excuses. We all know what they are. We don't need to relitigate them. But if you want to go on the concrete side, there's. You know, it might be the negative supporting arguments, concrete, the excuses, mm. but but they're pretty fucking good. No, they're they're real. Yeah. I mean, it's just that everyone has them, and it's why I think the Olympiakos elimination last he season has is kind of more than others. I agree. He's a new yeah. coach. Yeah, no, he's he's he did not. Doing this you know, season. we had one big purchase of a player in the summer. We didn't get him until no. He hasn't solved all our problems, but you can see we're much better with party in the pitch. Oh. We're better with with. Uh, are healthy players back and playing. We're better since we have options with Smith Rowe and Odegaard, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, look, the excuses are concrete, and I don't dispute that. Tim, I I think, um, you know, and, and I don't want to go too deep into the excuses. We know what they are. Whether they're affecting Arteta more or less, I mean, they are what they are. We know what they are. I, I would say, Tim, that I'm, I'm becoming less interested in the why. The why we fail it doesn't change the failure. And one thing about football and sport that we like, life is very complicated and nuanced and difficult. And sport can be so straightforward because it's measured in wins and losses. It's measured in goals scored and goals conceded. One thing that's becoming a real bugbear of mine is people using business analogies for football. Because, you know, people are like, oh, you hire a guy you think is talented in business and, you know, he has a, a bad second quarter of the fiscal year and you don't sack him. No, because... Those fuckers. <laughs> well, because, like, not... No, Paul, you've used them sometimes, but you use them effectively. But, like, but I mean, like, business is you are looking at long cycles. Football is not a long cycle business. If you stick with someone through three years of failure, the entire cycle has passed. So... Football yeah. is not meant to be measured in decades of performance. It's meant to be measured in 10-month stretches of performance. You know what this reminds me of, Tim, a little bit? You know what a Rorschach test is? Uh, no. So a Rorschach test is an inkblot test. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. in psychology, they show you an inkblot, and you say, oh, you know, it's a mother penis. hugging its child. Looks like a penis. <laughs> yeah, or you say, oh, it's it's a mother strangling its child, and that's how they decide whether to let you in free it's society. It's a penis. Lock you up. Yes, it's always got a penis. Um, I feel like this season is an ink blot that is just clearly a picture, like a high-def 1920 by 1080 picture of poop, and we're treating it like a Rorschach <laughs> test. We're like, well, if you look at XG differential from December 26th to February 4th, that and like, I'm starting to think we've, We've overdone it a little with the analysis that 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 we yeah, yeah. are trying to squint a little too hard now. And so I, I guess I would I would just ask you the, the very simple, straightforward question. Do we have enough reasons to think Arteta is any good to make sticking with Arteta a sensible choice in light of what's happened? No, I I don't really see any evidence for that. Um I don't and I, I guess on the on the Business analogies score. I, something I've been thinking. Don't do sorry, Tim. will turn on you. <laughs> <laughs> will turn on you. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm agreeing that. Um, oh, I, d- I 
completely don't agree with them. And sorry, <laughs> this is a this is a bit of a sidetrack, but I've been listening to like podcasts about TV rights deals at the moment, and obviously loads about the Super League and blah yeah. blah blah. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like, are football and business actually compatible? Because <laughs> Because like because of the need to compete on the pitch, like something like um, economies of scale is not possible in football because like the competition is so relentless that and and all the money you make just goes out the back door and all of that. And I I keep sitting there thinking, are these things actually like, is it possible to make money? Like who makes money out of football? But anyway, that's why they wanted a Super League. (laughs) I won't lead you down that garden. Exactly. Just to change (laughs) the game. So, so yeah, so uh, just another reason why uh, those things, because no football club will ever become like McDonald's, right? Right. And just go, right, we've got economies of scale now. Fuck you. We we just like, we, yeah, like we, we've got it absolutely locked down. Coca-Cola, like there aren't really football equivalents of those because as your success goes up, your costs keep rising. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, um, what was your question again? My question is basically, have we seen enough Yes. beyond this notional idea that he's a smart guy who knows football no. to stick with this project. No, no. And to be fair, we didn't have any more than that when we appointed him. We point, we appointed him on the notion that he was going to be like the next big thing in coaching. And, it, and he still might. Um, but, but no, I mean, the thing is, I would always... Um, I wonder if like flip the question is going to end up on that bingo card. I haven't said it for a while. Flip, flip the question the Drink. other way around. <laughs> <laughs> try and make so if you did if you just did a good old-fashioned pros and cons list for keeping versus sacking arteta like the list for sacking him is quite a lot longer than the list for keeping him and the the ideas for keeping him are all faith-based they're all faith-based arguments at this stage unless you really put lots and lots of stock into that six-week period where we first started playing four-two-three-one again, uh, before it got found out, <laughs> <laughs> and, and we and everyone realised, oh shit, we actually only uh, we only worked on that one thing, guys. Um, a bit like that Simpsons episode where Marge gets that uh, Chanel dress and keeps turning up to those uh, those like really high society. Um, kind of dinner parties and stuff in the same dress and they're just like isn't that the same dress so she keeps like you know cutting the sleeves off and modifying it every time so that people don't see that it's the same dress that's that's a little bit like arsenal like we tried a particular style with arteta when he first came didn't fly did the 343 which kind of worked for a bit but got worked out quite quickly gone to this 4231 that looked very nice for six weeks doesn't look so great now and so, really, I'm I'm struggling for anything that is not faith-based. I understand that, that the whole point of appointing Arteta was not what he is now, but what he could be. Um, but he needs to be that quite quickly. We can't wait, wait for like a decade for him to be great. And at the moment, we're 18 months in. And really, you look back over that 18 months and say okay what's improved where has he improved and the list isn't really that long whereas if you say what's gotten worse that list is a bit longer so um it it just comes down to whether you think 18 months and the covid season and blah 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 whether that's enough i I think that what arsenal will do is going to be completely the wrong thing 
Um, they will give him the summer. They'll give him the money to rebuild the team. And They're then already briefing that it. he's part of the solution, not part of the problem. So. Yeah, yeah. And then and then they'll wait until like a few months into next season, which is exactly the mistake they made with Emery. So we torched a whole season because we had to change the manager mid-season. We made like these big transfer commitments and then change the manager. And I think we're going to do that all over again. We'll throw a lot in with him, let him tinker the squad and then we'll get to November and it'll be like, "Mm, this hasn't really improved. So we're sacking him. We're wasting yet another season. And then we're bringing another manager in mid season. I mean, I think it would be a massive mistake to start next season with Arteta. I think we've got to get ahead of this. We've got to be decisive. This is a critical summer in terms of the rebuild and the, I've, I've said this many times this season, the number one um, KPI of this job at the moment is rebuilding this squad. And it's got to be the right person that's going to do it. You can't you can't be a little bit in and a little bit out with who, do, who does the next kind of couple of transfer windows. They're too critical. We're at too much of a crossroads. And I really think, um, you know, let, let him finish the season if you must. But I would absolutely be beavering away in the background and, and sounding people out. I know there are people that think even notionally the idea of hiring a rookie manager to be the, the head coach of Arsenal was a mistake. I was on board with it. I think where I got it yeah, wrong... You need a club with really strong guardrails in place for that guy. Yeah, he comes in as like the Germany, first team coach. Yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Germany can do it, right? Yep. Like we we all had this image of maybe we've got the next Nagelsmann, but Nagelsmann was here at Leipzig or Hoffenheim. I always forget which one. Uh, but the reason I forget which one is because they seem like interchangeable clubs in my mind. They Germany, had the Hoffenheim like, before Leipzig. Right. Well, there you go. Like they have real structures in place, and they haven't really even, you know. Not, yeah, so so it's kind of easier to do in Germany, I think. Mm, I, I agree. I mean, just look at what Sven Mislintat is doing. He's taken basically a rookie coach, right? Um, put him in a position, yeah, in Stuttgart with really good guardrails and a really good recruitment policy and and a really close relationship where he's mentoring him a bit. And they got promoted in the first season and they moved up to mid-table pretty comfortably playing by all means, and I haven't watched, so I'm just going on reports, attractive, reasonably, you know, pleasant attacking football. Um, so, Paul, I mean, th- this is the interesting thing. Like I said, I, I was on board with Arteta, but I mistook our club being the right club for it because you do need the guardrails. You appoint him as a first-team coach. You have a structure above him that really has a long-range vision of the football we want to play and the players we want to bring in. You let his knowledge of the game, his communication, and his his football intellect be primary. You surround him. You say to him, we want you to bring in some really experienced, you know, a number two, a number three, not 20-year-olds who can um, be obsequious to you, supplicant to you, right? But none of that happened. He hired guys younger than him that he could boss around, they put it, you know, Raul gone. Edu made the DOF, who he basically is more like an equal to. They name him manager. They create a situation where he could soak up this power vacuum and consolidate it in himself, which is the wrong way to go. Um, but I, I want to challenge you a little bit on something, Paul, and I'm, I'm sure you'll have a good answer for it, but I, that's why I'm, I'm kind of oh asking my. you because, I, yeah, I don't want it to just be a one-sided discussion on this. Uh, be well at Skipper AFC on Twitter says, the whole I think Arteta will be a top coach one day drives me wild. What is this based on? A few puff pieces in the media and a few comments from his best mate, Pep? It's utter nonsense. There's absolutely no basis to think, quote, he will be a top coach one day. And this is something that I think is interesting, right? We create a narrative about people we like or we want to see succeed. And the narrative becomes the reality. But 
what's kind of interesting to me in this whole debate, Paul, is most of the debates I see about Arteta are usually, as weird as it sounds, either he's a good manager who needs more time or he's a good manager, but this just wasn't the right job for him. And very rarely, he's just a terrible, shit-awful, below-average bad manager. Now, I'm not saying that's the case, but it's weird to me that we sort of rule that out because he had, look, if you would say, what is the ceiling for this team and the floor? We all did season predictions, right? And between Scott and you and me and Clive and Tim, I would say we kind of covered what we thought were ceiling and floor out ranges. I think Tim and Clive a little on the more positive side, touching fourth place, you and I a, a little lower and Scott even lower still, but all in that six, fourth to six range. And we're going to finish ninth or 10th or thereabouts. On I a think very I low. was the lowest. Actually. You might, yeah, you might've been the lowest. And even still. I was six, seven. Yeah. And, and my point is he's delivering a floor performance. I think it's fair to say, at least on the, I know you think there's more to mm-hmm. it than just the table, but just I'll, I'll finish this and I'll yeah, turn it over to you. Is it possible, and is there a reason we sort of refuse to countenance the idea that maybe he's bad at this? I mean, and bad at so for whatever a, reason I have without a quick casting question aspersions. For you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's not. A, and I'd like your shortest answer. I'll for, do it in two you, sentences. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, you've said a bunch of times you think he's a very talented coach. Why do you think he's a very talented coach? And this isn't a trick question, yeah, nope. even if it so sounds I'll like one. It super quickly. Watching the way he sets the team up, it's clear that he has a fundamental understanding of complex, sophisticated footballing concepts. But I don't see a guy who understands the role of coaching beyond understanding the football concepts, if that makes sense. So, right, so Paul, I see a guy who understands theory but not praxis, if that makes sense. But but again, how in terms of... like. What's my point here? Everything's projection. Like, that's still a projection. You couldn't show that to me in some concrete fashion. The reality is... What I mean is, is I don't think Sam Allardyce understands some of the things that Arteta is trying to do on a football pit. Maybe maybe he does. Maybe I don't. But you know what I'm trying to say, right? I don't think he's a football I know what you're trying to say. But I don't think he can the praxis side down at all. Like, this this be well guy... He can feck off, right? Oh, I love him. Um, He's a nice guy. Please. <laughs> I, we're, we're, we're friends. I like him. <laughs> because almost everything, it's like the what's concrete versus not concrete. Like, it's all projection. Like, is, uh, you know, how good is Pochettino at the moment? Uh, I don't know, right? He, he has a track record, but that was then, this is now. It's all projection. What you can Past say performance about, is not indicative of future returns, you're saying. Not at all. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're you're through the filter of the club, the resources, football has changed. It's all projection. So we're all, we, we like to think we're rational and logic and you bring your facts and I bring my facts. At the end of the day, we're all doing the same thing. We synthesize. Our, our thinking is emotional first, logical second. We have a feeling about who a guy is for whatever reasons. I think Arteta is a smart coach who's going to be successful. I just don't know when. And I don't know if it'll be within the time frame of his time at Arsenal. And you can uh, be well, can see, look at him and say, there's no facts to this and no facts to that. There's almost no facts to anybody being successful. Like mm. Klopp was a bust at the end of Dortmund. Kind of nobody wanted him. 
was the story that was out there, the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know there was more to it than that, but his final... Football, it changed. Gagan, uh, Gagan pressing was no longer... You know, there's a time frame of about two years where loads of people had talked themselves into the fact that it was clear that his time was done in the same that way that Mourinho's time was done. And yet other people, other smart people like Levy, then go and hire Mourinho because they're projecting onto Mourinho enough fact it's all projection. And there are ones we all feel much more comfortable about. We feel much more comfortable about Mourinho collectively. We all sort of feel we can see what the story is, and yet some smart people did some really dumb thing again, and Roma have gone and hired him. They're projecting onto the same guy. And I think Klopp's very apt as a as a, an analysis because there was a time where the football world had basically kind of sort of written him off. It's not that obvious, be well. It's just not that obvious. We have a gut instinct, and that, and then we rationalize and I think I can see enough in Arteta. I think he's an excellent communicator. I think he's smart. I think he's got leadership. He's got ambition. He's got whatever. Can I prove it? Can I put it on a piece of paper? Is it a mathematical formula? No more than people could prove Klopp one way or another in that window between his failed Dortmund year and getting start, and even his first year in Liverpool. I mean, we'll go back post talk and say oh well it was trending in the right direction he was doing all the right things again go back and read the the coverage from smart intelligent pundits supposedly football people it was all over the place on uh he's a bust it's not going anywhere they're shit uh he's a busted flush it's it's always projection the the reality with managers is Almost always. You never want to say always because someone will prove you wrong. But 99.9% of the times, managers leave jobs in disgrace and failure. Very few have the, the conviction to go out on the top. Very, very few. And so if you judge them by the last thing they did in their last job, you're making a huge mistake. Um, the problem with Arteta is we just don't, we don't have a previous, yeah. any kind of previous evidence of what he's about. And that's it. You know, The bit of evidence we have of him was when he was at Arsenal as a captain, you could sense his intelligence. You could sense that tactically he was the guy pulling the strings. You could see that Wenger relied on him, trusted him, talked to him as a peer. You could see... Uh, the players responding to him, they would tell you that he was the guy who could tell them how to play. You would see Ramsey looking to Arteta, not the other way around, about what they were going to do in the second half. The, there, if you go looking, there's a lot of things that tell you he's probably a very good coach. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, it's but interesting. it doesn't Tim, prove it. No. So, so, Tim, this is what I think is interesting. One man's um, conviction is another man's mm-hmm. intra- to another man is intransigence, right? One mm-hmm. man's... Um, uh, culture and discipline to another man is, is, is bullying. You can look at things in different ways. You know, I came out mm-hmm. pretty strongly against the players taking a pay cut. I now feel somewhat vindicated about that position based on how we've seen Kroenke act in the wake of that and the money he's made during the pandemic and what he tried to do with our club. Um, but also the fact that they, we did actually spend a shitload of money that summer going after players, which was the club's commitment that they would invest in the team, and they did. But that's another conversation. Sure. I, I feel vindicated doesn't mean I'm right. <laughs> I, I like feeling vindicated. Yep. doesn't mean I am vindicated. Um, but, but my point is, I, I felt that Arteta was wrong to get involved in that. 
I thought that Arteta had too much of a one-note approach with some of his problem players. I said, look, you want to freeze out Ozil and the club's behind you on that? All right, but should you do it to all the young players who are challenging or all the players that are difficult? At some point, these are assets. Do you create distressed assets? You look at Ganduzi now, broken metatarsal. He's going to come back to the club. He won't be sold this summer. We're going to lose him for free next summer and have him ghosting around the club recovering from a broken metatarsal all next season. It's a situation we created because we tanked his value. Um, it's a little bit of bad luck, but you make your own luck. So just for you, I mean, as you look back through this, one of the things I'm starting to feel is whether it comes to selling players or sacking managers, we're becoming a club and a fan base, but a club more importantly, who only wants to do anything when there's total consensus and complete lack of abil- uh, amb- ambiguity. And that is paralysis. And to me, <laughs> this is the biggest issue, which is, If you want to be a club that's going to be good, you have to start trusting your instincts, your vision, your understanding of the game, your operation in the market. By the time it's obvious a player isn't going to work out, you've sold them too late. By the time it's obvious a manager isn't going to work out, the damage done by that manager is too grave. Do you... Yep. Do you find yourself concerned that whether it's about Arteta or, you know, selling a player like an Eddie Nketiah or whatever it is, that our our lack of ability to to make dis- decisive moves before they become the obvious move is one of the, one of the challenges that we're going to have to correct if we're going to redress our standing in the league and, and European football right now. Yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, they're, they're, well, it shouldn't be trial and error, but... They're, you will always get some wrong, right? You'll you'll always have a Serge Gnabry. Chelsea have got De Bruyne and Salah. Um, you know, like all clubs have got them. Like Man United had Peter Beardsley um, in the eighties and let him go, and uh, and nearly got Paul Gascoigne and didn't do it. Like you 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 get those just just the same as you know how many times have we heard from Arsene Wenger? Nearly bought him um, mm. actually, as it goes. Um, yeah, we nearly had Ronaldo uh, and Zlatan of, would have been a hell of a combination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we nearly had a front three of, uh, Ronaldinho, uh, Ibrahimovic and Ronaldo, but, mm. um, we didn't do it. Uh, <laughs> it's it's like, a shame. Well, thanks. Um, so like, yeah, you, you have got to like get over that idea a bit. And I do feel, and look, it's not really like what we as supporters think about that. Like it's, it's not really important for anything other than us wasting our time on Twitter talking about it. But um, certainly that like the club has to like really step up with some of that stuff. So, so, you know, someone like Joe Willock this summer, like you've created value for him. He's, he's not a bad player, but is he, is he like going to take you where you want to go? Like look at Chamberlain, right? We probably got a bit lucky there because we waited till the last year of his contract. Has, has anything that has happened to Arsenal, like would anything that has happened in the last couple of years not happened if we'd kept Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain? No. Like, would we be, where would we be in the league? What would, you know, like it, it just wouldn't have been different. It won't be, would anything be different? Probably not. Like, you know, this is, this is um, kind of butterfly wing stuff. So maybe, um, you know, sliding doors and things like that little things change but but not significantly like if you're if you're arming and ahhing over a player kind of means he's probably expendable at the right price mm. um the, the kind of the real unfortunate thing is is even if we have learned that lesson now this is like the worst possible market <laughs> to learn it in like 
three, four years ago, Land of Milk and Honey, um, when Liverpool were rinsing Barca for Coutinho and stuff like that, we were kind of sitting on our hands. And now, even if we have learned that lesson now, um, it, we we probably can't get rid of some of these players, even if we try quite frankly so um so yes that like that sense of paralysis it absolutely like it has to go it really really has to go um and we have to get a lot braver but that that really depends on having a vision and that really comes from the top and i i I just think that's the problem the reason that we arm and are over things is because there isn't like a clear vision um that we're that we're recruiting to either executive level or or tactically for the reasons we discussed earlier in the pod, like it's not really clear what, like what is an Arteta player? Um, Mm. You know, two of the players he decided to bring in didn't start last night um, in Gabriel and Willian. So, you know, that, I mean, and that's among the reasons I'm not inclined to trust him with, with this rebuild. And, and, you know, with no European football next season, we we certainly don't need a squad of this size, Um, but it's going to be, it's going to be really hard um, I think, to get rid of some of those players. Yeah, and I mean, the, the interesting thing is, right, like, at some point you have to look at what the actions of the coach are telling you. Like, we, you know, we had Pepe finish the season pretty strong last season. William started 12 of the first 14 games this season. He wasn't brought in as some insurance policy to help train the kids. He was the guy he wanted, and he used him, and it was a bust. You know, that those are negative data points. I, I think you're absolutely right, though, Tim. Like, the, the issue for us now is, we can't afford to keep getting this wrong. You know, we've kind of hit our floor, but the floor can always get lower. We're going to have a smaller squad next season. We're going to have less revenue, which may impact what we can do. You know, we talk about, should we go get Odegaard, push the boat out for Odegaard this summer? Will we have a boat to push out this summer? Will this summer just be about clear out and no incomings? That remains to be seen. I don't want to do the, are we better without Europe debate or what will a season without Europe debate be? Because... Frankly, we've got months and months to have that one. So I think we can start to wind this down now a little bit. Um, but Paul, I, I, I think it comes around now to the very simple question about, you know, whether Arteta should stay. And, and you know, the funny thing is, like, I say very simple. It's not very simple. But, <laughs> like, I bet if you went on Twitter and searched the Lampard out hashtag from back when they sacked Lampard, there were people being like, oh, you sack him now, what happens to the development of Mason Mount? You know, you undermine all the good work he's done with the young players, or what happens, you know, to those guys? You bring in some coach who's just going to want to use the expensive players and we ruin our academy kids, or, you know, give him to the end of the season because what difference is it going to make now? The squad's imbalanced, we have a lot of attackers, but we don't have center backs. And, like, the irony is, as a fan base, we think we're so unique. We think our club's in such a, a rare position. Like, Lester sacked Puel. Lester sacked the guy who won them the freaking league. It was fine. Took them a bit. It was fine. Liverpool kept sacking until they got Klopp. Chelsea sacked their greatest ever player in the middle of the season. And and it's fine. And we think we're so unique, but I just don't think we are. And look, there's also another conversation to have about KSE and the absentee ownership and sacking Arteta just laying bare the problems that Adu will still be here making decisions that maybe make no sense. Vinay will still be here doing whatever Vinay does because that is entirely unclear to me. So yes, it can be true that we need a full restructuring of the framework of the football side of of the club, and also true that we just need to start with a new manager. And I just, I just don't feel that we are as unique as we'd like to think. That you can sack the manager. That it is not this cataclysmic. The, I think the one area where you and I disagree the most, Paul, is lots of clubs sack managers. They even sack good managers, and they're fine. I think 
The worst case outcome of continuing to sack the manager till you find the right one is you just have a couple down seasons. And I think good managers show a trajectory towards being very good quicker than maybe some other people do. So for you, how how big a deal would it be to move on from Arteta now? And are you are still reluctant to, to make that decision? Good clubs sacking managers, I agree with you. They <laughs> can sack them all day long. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Bad clubs, chaotic <laughs> clubs sacking managers because they're not sure if they're the problem or not. That's bad. We've got to get good at being a club. All this, what should we do? It gives a fuck what we should do. A, we don't get a choice. B, what's the we? The we is the Cronkies or the director of football or Vinay. And you see the problem here, which is who's going to do the hiring, but also what are they going to do with this guy? Like, if you're asking me, do we move from Arteta to Rangnick? Sure. But I don't think that's... Like, if that's the binary choice we're given, yeah. Or bring Rangnick in above Arteta if he thinks there's mileage in that and do it that way. But if you're just saying, should we go and sack the manager? I'm going to push back and say, who's the we? It's not you and me, because we'd go and change a few other things along the way. Should we agitate as fans for that bunch of clowns to swap out Arteta and pick somebody else? Well, who are they going to pick? If if you're saying we push them to get rid of Arteta and they're going to bring in, say, Brandon Rogers, I don't know that he's the perfect answer, but that might be something I'd say, okay, I can see why we want to do that, even though I personally want to see the Arteta ex, um, experiment continue because I do. Why do I? Because I fucking do. All right, piss off. I'm a fan. Um, but as a business person uh, running the club, would I hit the button and swap Arteta for Brendan Rodgers? Yes. Would I do it for Rangnick in a heartbeat for the sake of the club? But our choice as fans will be, do we agitate to get rid of this manager? And I say at the moment, probably not, because uh, you need to change some of the key pieces. Um, that's a That's a bit like just buying players for a manager without knowing what the manager needs because the manager doesn't know the system. It's like we got to start at the start, and the start is uh, the club needs to get their shit together and at least sorting out who the director of football or the czar of football over the director of football is. So am I for changing the manager as a straightforward thing right now? No, Uh, unless you give me the right choice in terms of manager. And we don't get to choose the manager. We only The only choice we get to get as fans is to say Arteta in or out. And for the time being, I'm not Arteta out. Okay. And, and that is, and this is important. That is not a decision that I'm going to ridicule. I may disagree with it, but I'm not going to say you're wrong because it is a club that is in crisis structurally. And so it's hard to know who can thrive in that environment. I think my basic feeling about this team is it is better than these results. And so if it is Arteta next season and he really just has the league, he's got no excuse. Find your system, find your best players, put them out as often as you can, and try to win. I just don't know if he has that in him. If he had kept that trajectory post-boxing day that was really encouraging me, yeah, but it's backslid pretty badly. And I don't think there's a good excuse for it. Paul's on Twitter, pause my pants, thanks, pause. Woohoo! 
Um, I was going to continue with you, Tim, but you know what? Like, we're 80 minutes in. We've got four more games of post-match pods that will probably be more about, like, Arteta and the future of the club than about the games because they're fairly irrelevant. Um, We'll talk about what it means to not have Europa League, not have any Europe. We'll talk about what it means to have KSE in or out and how that influences the changes we make, the structure at the club. But I'll just leave you with this, Tim. At this point, seeing what you've seen, knowing that you can't afford to languish in ninth long term, are you prepared to say that the right move this summer is to change managers? And muted. Sorry, sorry, I was on mute. (laughs) Yes, yeah, 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 definitely I am. Mm-hmm. Um, that that doesn't mean, by the way, I have an awful lot of faith in the, in the people above to make um, the right appointment. But, you know, that, that you can't just keep the same manager forever. Um, you know, uh, at some point you've got to throw some more uh, mud at the wall and hope that some will stick. It's our model. Um, I, <laughs> Don't knock it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. And hope that just one day they, they get a bit lucky. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely think uh, that it is time um, to do that. We we had all our eggs in the Europa League basket for a long time. This is not because even with the Emery season, right? We were in the top four chase till right at the end, um, and I still thought he should. I mean, for the sake of consistency, I wanted Emery to go after his first season when we finished fifth and lost in the final. Um, we're going to finish ninth or tenth and lose in the semi final. So I, you know. Uh, that that I think that tells you everything. I, I I'm I'm open to being convinced, but someone will have to give me some good reasons to stick with Arteta beyond oh we'll just appoint another crap person anyway because I just don't find that convincing enough. Like if someone can give me enough reasons um, based on Arteta's quality, I'm I'm definitely open to that because I, I want it to work and I like Arteta and I liked the idea of this, but. Um, yeah, I, I think it's absolutely we should we should change in the summer, and and you know sell to a new manager on the basis of look we're about to do like a rebuild. So um, this squad as it is, you're going to get the chance to to turn at least some of it over, um, and yeah, and go from there. And it's a simple situation. You've got 38 games, win as many of those as you can. Yeah. I mean, it's a straightforward, yeah. by Arsenal standards, straightforward. You know, it's funny. Everybody knows I like a little bit of the XG and the underlying metrics and stuff. And there was a point there late February, early March, where I was like, this is it. He's finally got his clarity of vision, of lineup, of system. He's implemented it. It's working. The XG difference is looking better. We're creating more chances. All the metrics are starting to go in the direction they need to. And as long as this continues, this clarity of vision and this effectiveness of football, let the results be damned, I'm on board. But the results can't be damned when that stuff went out the window too. And that stuff went out the window. And it's not a long enough period of that. I wanted Emery out not just because we finished fifth and lost in the final. I thought the football was a muddled mess. I didn't see a message that the players were responding to. And I I am definitely at that point now where I look at these players and I say they're way better than what they're producing. It's paralysis by analysis. They don't understand the message. So lots more to discuss and debate. and I would love it if you would give us a review. We're going to pick one out every few weeks and send someone a shirt or some good news, uh, good stuff like that, because we we I have been remiss in in asking if you could do that. So we, we do appreciate it. Tim's on Twitter. Thanks, Tim. 
My pleasure as always. My name is Alex Smith, Black Man, Turning Yankee Gunner. Um, you can uh, also check out Clive's feeling on all of this on the Instant Reaction Pod. We did. We had a really fun live stream pre-match. You could watch if you want a, an upbeat mood. But um, I don't think any of us are feeling that right now. My most important comment I could make, and I said this on the, on the Instant Reaction Pod as well. The best thing about the club, the last really good feeling thing about the club right now is us, the fans, each other. So let's be good to each other. Let's support each other. We won't all reach the same anger or frustration or sadness at the same time. We won't all reach the same conclusion at the same time. But we all care and we all want the best for the club. And we are the good thing left about this club. It really feels that way. So I hope we'll be good to one another, uh, which is why at the end of every podcast, say I love you because we do. It means the world to us that you're here and, and to interact with everyone. So hang in there. Eventually things will get better. Or there'll be the heat death of the universe. One of those two things. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, West Brom nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.